Let's pray together. Father, thank you as always for the opportunity that we have to gather, to worship you. And yes, that includes singing God, but it's not totaled in just that. It is a response of all that we are to all that you are. And God, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, we know that anything we are is because of who you are. And so we're so incredibly grateful. And that is why we worship you. That's why we, as Romans 12, one says, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice because that's the only thing that makes sense in light of who you are and what you've done. And so God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see these glorious truths that we've been looking at. And God, help us in the complexity to understand the amazingness of these words. And God, we know that we can't without the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. So would you fill us now by your Spirit? Help us to see, to hear, to know, to understand, to live in light of your grace. And God has always helped me to communicate it in a way that is honoring to you and is helpful to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter one. We are today going to actually get to the period of the longest sentence in the Bible. And that is Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. As I've told you over the last several weeks, in the Greek, it is one long run-on sentence. And personally, I just think that Paul did what most good preachers do, that when you're preaching or you're writing, you just keep going longer. T to me, the best sermon is always two minutes more than what it was, all right? You just, because you just can't help it. You, when, you, when you keep talking about God, you just can't help but continue to be like, let me say one more thing. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a limit to what can be said, but I would just like to submit in the book of Acts that Paul preached all night to a point to where a dude fell asleep, fell out the window and died, and then Paul healed him and kept preaching. I personally have not experienced that yet, but I still got some life to live, all right? But let's jump into Ephesians chapter one, verses 11 through 14. We're gonna look at, again, the last three verses of this long run-on sentence and really do our best to kind of bring this to a conclusion of a complex topic that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And so let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. First, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's the complex word, this is the second time it's happened in this sentence, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to, we talked about that last week if you were here, to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he starts off saying, in him. Those two words 
are very powerful words. In him. In fact, that's the title of this week's message. It's in him. Now, in this sentence, with it being one long run-on sentence, the Greek, actually, a better translation would be in whom. In whom. And I don't know about you, I was always confused about when to use whom and when to use who, and I don't need an English lesson. I'm just saying that was more complex than predestination, all right? Because when it's one long run-on sentence, it's already implied, it's in whom. But in our English, since we broke it up, we wrote in him instead of in whom, and it's not a mistranslation, but it's just helping you understand contextually who he's talking about here. This him is who? Jesus, you know, if you're in church, the answer's always Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus, it's in him. It's in God. It's in God that we have obtained an inheritance. Now, the whole conversation we've been having, this is now week three, is which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And what I mean by that is which came first, God's choice or our choice? And, and again, I've said this is a complex subject and well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving followers of Christ have disagreed about the order. Which comes first, grace or faith? And I have said several times, and I will continue to say, we can agree to disagree about the order, which came first. But what we must agree is they're both necessary. By grace, through faith. Uh, Paul's gonna say in Ephesians chapter two, that's how we're saved. And so when I'm saying grace, I'm talking about God doing something. When I'm saying faith, I'm talking about us doing something. And so the whole contention has been, or the complexity has been, who did something first? Now, I have said, and I will continue to say, my opinion and the, uh, the opinion of our church is that God did something first, and then we do something in response to that. And the reason why that is, is because when you read verses like this, it kind of lays it out, and I hope to show this to you, that's why I'm setting it up this way again. It lays it out in a way that I think is very helpful. But it can be confusing, and I understand that. Because when you read this and he says, we have obtained an inheritance, a cursory reading of that makes it look like, well, we did it, right? We obtained it. We made it happen. But this is why it's important to study the Bible, not just in our, to have a good English study Bible that is vitally necessary, but you also have to study it in its original languages. Because in this instance, what you would see is this word here or this phrase here, we have obtained, is not written in what's called the active voice. The active voice, as I'll show you in a second, means the one doing the work. This is written in the passive voice. Now, anybody who has teenagers understands passive, right? I'm not trying to knock on teenagers, I'm just joking, all right? I would say anybody who works with humans understands passive. The concept of passive is you're not doing something, right? It's like when someone asks you to do something, to be active in doing something, and they're not. They're passive, 
right? So you understand the difference in these two words. One means to work, one means to not work. Here's what's interesting. This phrase, we have obtained, is written in the passive voice, which means this is not something we did, rather this is something we received. Interestingly enough, this phrase here literally means to cast lots, to cast lots. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the biblical concept of casting lots, but another way to say it is draw straws. Or you could even say the lottery. Now, I don't know where you know, the idea of the lottery came from, but I do know this. It's a bad strategy of obtaining an inheritance. It's a bad strategy. Now, if that's your strategy, thank you for paying for my kids' college, all right? I do appreciate it, especially here in the state of Georgia. But what's interesting, he says, when you've obtained inheritance, it's, it's, it's the idea of casting lots. It's, it's like saying, you hit the lotto, baby. You hit the jackpot. But what's interesting here is when he says, you hit the jackpot, you didn't hit the lotto, you didn't hit the jackpot by chance. You hit it by choice. But not your choice, but God's choice. Because when you keep reading, he says, predestined according to the purpose of him who works. Him who works. Now that him is the same him in him. Now this phrase, him who works, is written in the active voice. The active voice. So here's what I'm trying to show you. God works actively, we receive passively. That's the argument Paul's making here. He's saying, we have obtained something, we hit the jackpot, we hit the lotto, we've obtained an inheritance according to him who works all things. Here's the main point that we need to try and understand. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It is not in us. It is in him. It is not in us. It is in him. This is why I think Paul stresses this, and, and this is why, for sure, I know why I am stressing this, because I want us to understand something. I get the complexity of this. But when we're talking about human beings and whether or not human beings will make a choice to choose God, what we need to understand is, biblically speaking, the Bible says, you are free. And I've said this for the last several weeks now. You are completely free. Completely free to choose what you Want. When the Bible talks about predestination, please understand something. The Bible is not saying that God predestined some people to hell and some people to heaven. Like God is up there is like, do you love me? Do you love me not? Do you love me? No, that's not how this works. In fact, in Matthew 13, Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. So here's what we need to know. Every human being from Adam and Eve until us freely chose to walk on that broad path. 
We freely chose it. According to our own desires, according to our own flesh, according to our own nature, the Bible says we were children of wrath. So what I want you to hear me say is when we're talking about these subjects, I don't want you to think that the Bible is saying that God chose that. No, you chose that. Don't blame God for your choices. You chose that. Here's what I am saying, and here's what I believe the Bible is saying. You would never choose God unless he first worked in you to want to choose him. That's what I'm saying. And to back that up, let's go to the Bible. I've showed you references in other verses. We've talked about Romans. We've talked about Colossians. We've talked about Corinthians. Now I wanna show you in Philippians. We've talked about John as well. Look at what Paul says to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter two, verse 12 and 13. I think this explains it as about as best as you possibly can. Look at what he says, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, isn't that the desire of every parent? It's also the desire of every pastor, right? As I've said many times, pastoring, parenting, very similar. He says, if you always obeyed, I want you to continue to. And then he says this, look at this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. And this is when you're like, hold up. And this is in the active voice, by the way. Work it out, your own salvation. That makes it sound like I'm choosing this. You are choosing it. I'm not saying you're not. But keep reading. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works, what's that next word there? In. For it is God who works in you. Now listen to this both to will and work for his good pleasure. This is what we need to understand. We can only work out what God first works in. Paul is intentionally using a play on words here. He's telling the church at Philippi, you need to work out. You need to choose what God has worked in. And what has God worked in? He qualifies, he says what he's worked in is both to will and to work. I find this fascinating. First is because this word here, to will, is the same Greek word that we talk about God's will or free will or human will. It means to desire to want to do something. Here's why that is such an important word in reference to God working in us. It's interesting because he says God works in us both to will, to want to. So what, when we're talking about free will, when we're talking about human choice, again, I've already said, you freely chose to disobey God. All of us do but you would never choose to obey God. You would never want to, you would never will to, why? Because it's not in you naturally. 
It's not in you naturally. Again, anybody who has kids, what is in your kids naturally? Well, you, which is the desire. I mean, some of the first words are just like out of the, I can't think of the movie. Mine, 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 mine. Yeah, that one. Yeah, you remember. You don't have to teach them that. They came by it naturally. That's what's in them. Here's what I'm saying. The will or the want to, to choose God or to choose good is not in you naturally. It has to be put in you supernaturally. That's the argument. The argument is God must first work in us to even want to choose him, to even want to desire him. And then he says this, both to will and to work. So they, he, he commands, this is a command by the way, work out. So Paul, I guess, was the first Richard Simmons. Work it out, baby, right? Work out, work out, work out. But here's what's amazing about God. God is saying, you can work it out because I'm gonna give you the power, but why? By what I've already worked in. I worked in you both to want this and to work it. See, that's the argument. And the reason why this is so amazing is because let's think about it. I've referenced kids. I have two teenagers and, and, and it blows my kids' minds but I once too was a teenager. Yeah, I know it's crazy. And let's, let's be honest, it is weird to want to go against the ways of the world. That's weird to want to do that, isn't it? Let me say it like this. It's not natural. I don't know if you've ever been in a large crowd before. And I know we've got crowds here at Revolution, but this is nothing compared to the crowd of a football game. And when I say football, I don't just mean American football, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. But I'm referencing the more aptly named European version of the game that we call soccer. But Europeans or the British or the rest of the world <laughs> calls it football, which let's be honest, it makes a lot more sense because they play a game with their foot and a ball, <laughs> right? I mean, in our game, we debate about, do we even need kicking anymore? So I don't know what we would call our game, but I mean, it's, what's done is done, right? But I have been to a Manchester United football game, which if you don't know about them, they're one of the most well-known, one of the greatest football teams of all time, probably. And when I went to that game with the sea of humanity, 
And it was in Scotland because we were visiting our church planner, Paul, who spoke here this summer. And we just happened to be there and it was this exhibition game and we saw these Manchester United fans and one of the pastors was like, oh, let's go to that game. I'm like, sweet. And he bought my ticket. I'm like, even better. And so we go to the game. We're up in the nosebleeds. And when that game lets out, we walk because Europeans like to walk. God bless us, right? And so we walked for like two miles in this sea of, I mean, we weren't, we weren't on the sidewalk. We took over the entire road, this sea of humanity. It was like I was just, I mean, I had to move my feet just to not get trampled. You understand how weird and hard it would have been as I'm going with that sea of humanity to be like, hold on, I forgot something. <laughs> right? It is much, let me say it like this. I better have a strong will. Here's what Paul's saying. Only a will that God has worked in will want to do that. Because it's weird. It is far easier to go with the flow of humanity, isn't it? Which is why we struggle with this all the time. Which is why I love Romans chapter seven, where Paul says, I don't understand myself. I don't do the things I wanna do. I, don't, I do the things I don't wanna do. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks the question, who will save me from this? And then he answers it with the answer of church, Jesus. Here's what I'm saying to you. Unless God works in you to will this, to want this, you won't want this. You won't will this. Because it will lead you to go against everything that feels natural to you. And this is why I don't believe we should just buy into the argument wholesale, well, I was born this way. I'm not saying you weren't. What I'm saying is we all have to resist. Jesus said you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. See, the same call is to all. We have to deny ourselves. But what in me is going to lead me to deny myself? It's not the birth of my flesh. It's the new birth of my spirit. It's a spirit. It's a will. And it's a strong will that God is working in by his grace that will lead me to say no to what is natural. You see what I'm saying here? And this is why I promise you, I promise you, you want a God who works in you. You want a God who works in you. To will and to work, I love this, for his good pleasure. God takes great pleasure in working in you. Now, don't misunderstand. Once he works in you, you work it out. You choose that. This is where people misconfruse, uh, misconfruse, uh, misconstrue, mis, you know what I'm saying. I make well, uh, As if somehow our choice and God's choice are 
not both there. You, again, you freely chose this. You freely chose the Broadway. No one made you do that. But when God works in you, watch this, what he works in you is a new will, a new way, a, a new desire, a new, Jeremiah says it like this, a new heart. See, this is all over the Bible. And once he works in that new will, once he makes you alive in Christ, guess what you do? You choose. You choose. You choose to work it out. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter one. I love this. Verse 13 and 14. In him, same two words, in him, you also. Now check this. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the second time he said that. We'll end with it in just a minute. But look back to what he said in verse 13. When you heard and when you believed. Now, both of those phrases are in the active voice. And I already told you what that means. That's you working. If we put these two verses together, you working out what God worked in is you hearing and believing. You chose that. You chose that. You were active in that choice. But here's the point. The point is you would have never chose that if God hadn't first worked in. By grace, you would have never through faith been saved. So don't misunderstand that you're completely passive in the whole deal. You are only passive in the obtaining. You are only passive in the receiving. But then by grace, through faith in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, you hear. See, you couldn't have heard unless God enabled you to hear. You couldn't have believed unless God enabled you to believe. But when he did, you heard, you believed. You were active. You chose it. And I've said this many times before, but if you're in Christ, it's because he chose you. If you're not, it's because you didn't choose him. That's the best way I can explain a very complex biblical subject. But Paul makes it clear. You heard. You believed. So, don't think that, or misconstrue, like I said last week, that God's choosing is somehow a license for you to say, what well, does not matter what I choose? No. Because, remember, it's weird to go against that sea of humanity. It's weird. It's contrary to what's natural to you. You're gonna have to choose this. This is why Jesus says, take up your cross daily. You're making the choice daily to believe. You're making the choice daily to say, God, what feels natural to me right now? 
What feels natural to me in this circumstance is not to forgive, is not to love my enemy, is to give in to the desires of my flesh, is to give in to the, the crowd. It's too hard, God. But would you work in me? Would you give me more grace to believe that your way is better, that your will is better? See, this is what I'm saying. If it's all up to your choice, why would you pray anyway? Now you say, I, I get it. You would say, well, I'd pray because I need God to help me. I know, but, but my point is, if God is not active in the whole thing and he's just saying, I'm offering this to everybody and it stops here, now it's up to your choice, we would never choose it. But the fact is, he overcomes our resistance to him. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new will. He gives us a new want to. And here's what's even better. He gives us the ability to work it out, to choose it. Now, how, I want you to see how Paul argues here. And by argue, I'm not mean argue in that sense, but how Paul makes his case, if you will. He says, when you heard, you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, and I told you this several weeks ago, the down payment of our inheritance. See, one of the greatest motivations we have in obeying Christ and doing the weird thing and going against what's natural is not just what God has done in him to save us. It's not just what he is doing right now to help us. It's what he will do in the future. He says, Listen, if you keep choosing, if you keep walking, what you got right now is just a down payment of what's to come. Now, I want you to think about this. And, and I'm not saying that the, the Bible is saying it quite like this. I just thought it was an interesting thought. But right now, if you are in Christ, if you're saved, you have the third person of the Trinity within you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, empowering you. But that is just one third of God. Now, again, I'm not trying to be heretical here, but go with me. God is one, and how many persons? Three, so it's one God, three persons. So if you have one of the persons, you have the God, you have God. But I think we would all agree that the experience that we have of God now is not as great as what we will have in the future when we see God face to face and sin is no more. 
The vision of Revelation 21, where God is with his people again, and there's no sun anymore because God himself is the light. I think that'll be a little different. Would you agree? So think about it like this. You only have one third now, which means two thirds is coming. Now think about this. You got the first portion. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I take him literally, all right? And the Bible says that we're having the wedding supper of the lamb. So using food, I think, is well within my biblical right. You got the first. You know, when we eat, we say we're gonna go back for seconds. Can you imagine if someone in their firsts, I don't, we don't say it like this, but in, they pile it on and then they go back for seconds and somewhere in the last you know, few decades, we had to use different plates, you know, sure, whatever. But if they sat down with one plate full of food and then they went back and they didn't just get one plate full of food, they got two. Two plates full of food. After they just devoured one plate and they brought it back, set it down, and you would be like, bro, are you okay? <laughs> Is somebody joining you? No. I wanted a double portion of what I got the first time. Go with me here again. When we're thinking about the inheritance that's coming, it's a double portion of what's already come. You got the Holy Spirit now. What's it gonna be like when you get Jesus and the Father when you get God in his fullness, no longer limited by your frail human capacity because he's resurrected a new body for you that can contain the glory with which he's bringing to your plates. Can you imagine such a feast? See, here's how Paul's arguing. What is your desire? What's your will? What in you is going to lead you to go against that sea of humanity to turn from your wicked ways to repent, to confess that Jesus is Lord, to believe, to go against this? What in you? What's well, gonna be the will that God puts in you and what does the will that God put in you want? It wants God now. And here's what you gotta know. As hard as it is, I'm gonna illustrate it this way. As hard as it is to turn and go back against that sea of humanity, what you gotta tell yourself is, excuse me, I'm going for my double portion. 
excuse me, I got two plates when you're going for scrums. And that's scraps and crumbs, all right? (laughs) Just made it up. The sea of humanity is flowing with their natural human desires, giving them the want to, to get something that won't last forever. See, that's the problem with humanity. And this is my whole argument. This is Paul's whole argument. I think this is Jesus' whole argument. In John 15, he says, if you obey me, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Do you not understand that when Jesus calls you to obey him, it's not because he wants you to have less joy, but more? So what you have to tell yourself, your wicked self and your wicked friends is why would you go for scraps when you got a double helping? See, this is how C.S. Lewis argues, and he's British. And so he says this, it's not that our desires are too strong, it's that they're too weak and that they're too easily pleased. When we are content with playing around in the mud when God offers us a holiday at the sea. Let me put it in American English. Quit playing with scraps when you got a Royal Caribbean waiting. You don't have just one, anybody been on a cruise? You don't just have one buffet. You got buffets upon buffets. Which one would you like to indulge in tonight, Mr. Gertis? Dear Lord, right? I mean, Oh, see, but that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. And that's the will that he'll give you to the praise of his glory. See, this is why it's so important. And, and this is where I've said several times now, I think we misunderstand when we say that when God has justice on those who disobeyed him, they freely chose that. But I think the wrong assumption is that people who go to hell don't want to go there. Like they want to get out. They want God. They just can't. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible's saying when we're talking about predestination. I think we're making the wrong assumption that people that are walking that broad road, we're making the assumption they don't wanna do it. No, they wanna do it. And they freely do. This is Romans one. God gives them over. What does he give them over to? He gives them over to their will, to their desire, which is if you would just leave us alone, God. This is why I love how C.S. Lewis illustrates this. He says, listen, hell is locked from the inside. Don't misunderstand hell as being, and I do think it's a literal place, but it's all these people that are begging God to get them out. No, for all eternity, they are begging God to leave them alone. It's interesting, if you read about Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man's in hell, Lazarus is in heaven, the rich man never asked to get out. What does he ask? 
he asked Abram to get a servant to come get him water. He's still acting like he's in charge. He's like, it's, I don't want up there. I just need something else down here. Ring, 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 butler. I mean, that's my commentary on the verse. And that came from Jesus, by the way. See, this concept that people that are on the road to hell, they don't want to go there, is not biblical. They want to go there. They freely go there because their natural desire is not to want God. And that was my natural desire, and that was your natural desire before God did something. And this is why I'm saying you want God to do something. Think about your own journey with God if you've been saved. Like, before you came to Christ, did you want Christ? Did you want the things of God? I don't know about you. I didn't want Jesus. I wasn't looking for Jesus. Even sometimes now in my flesh, still, I don't want Jesus. I don't know if a pastor can say that, but it's true. I was on that broad way. Everything in me wanted to go that way, but God did something in me. And in a moment, all of a sudden, now I wanted Jesus. Why would I want Jesus? Because now I saw. I could see that who Jesus is and what Jesus promised me in inheritance was far better than anything I could choose on my own. And that's why Paul says, when you understand this, you get to the place where all you can say is to the praise of his glory. It's only because of God. This is what I said a few weeks ago. I just wanna make sure that my theology is highlighting God's grace more than it is my choice. Because it was God's gracious act to me and to you that led me to want this anyway. Let me go Old Testament, one last verse and we're almost done. Look at Psalm 115, one. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to who? Let's try that again, because that was weak. Let's do it again. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Not to us, but to your name. Why? Look at his explanation. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, but to your name. See, the word too is about direction. And here's what I'm saying to you. All glory and honor and worship should go the direction of God, not the direction of you. Because it's not to us. See, the Bible doesn't use categories like good and bad. And this is where we have these conversations. Like, oh, well, I'm not that bad. And people are like, I don't understand why a bad thing happened to a good person. You need to understand something that only happened once in human history and his name was Jesus. What you should rather say is, why does anything good happen to all these bad people? Because the Bible doesn't use that language. There's not good and bad. There's only dead and alive. You're either dead in your trespasses and sins or you're alive in Christ. And when we understand that, when we understand I was dead, 
I was dead and I was headed to destruction. But God made me alive, gave me a new will, gave me a want to. Now he's working in me. It's to him. Here's the last point. It's not to us, but it's to him. See, the first point was it's not in us, it's in him. The last one is it's not to us, it's to him. Here's the good news of the gospel. And it sounds funny because when I said it's not in us, I said it's not in us naturally. But then Philippians 2 says God works in. And I didn't mean to confuse you to say, well, it's not in, but it is in. Which one is it? Yes. What I'm saying is this, it's not in there naturally, but supernaturally God can put it in. He can give you a new heart and a new will to the praise of his glory. And here's where I'm going. Here's where I think Paul is going. When you understand what God did in you and what God did for you, the only response, we're back to verse three again, is to say, blessed be your name. It's not in me, it's in you. But thank God by Christ, it is now in me. Because it was in you And that's why it's to you that we worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. I know, God, we are talking about complex issues, but we're actually talking about the greatest news on the planet, which is By grace, you can work in anyone. You can work in us what we can't do for ourselves. God, thank you that by your spirit, you can overcome our resistance and save us. You can work in us to will and to work, to want to follow you. And that's what we're asking you to do right now. Would you work in us? Again, no one looking around or talking here as we close, but maybe you're here today and you've never trusted God. You are that person that I was describing that is on the broad way living according to your natural desires. But God, today by his grace has opened your eyes to see, opened your ears to hear, and now you can choose him. You can confess, you can repent and be saved. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud but it goes like this. Say, Father, I confess I'm a sinner. Nothing in me is able to save me. 
But today you've opened my eyes and I confess I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. So would you save me? I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Again, if you're here today and you're in one of our physical locations and you just prayed that with me, we wanna know who you are because we have a Bible for you, some next steps. And so would you just simply lift your hand up? This is not your public profession, by the way. That's baptism. This is just for us to give you a gift. Thank you. Within those of us who have trusted Christ, I hope that as we've talked about this over the last several weeks, you have begun to realize just how gracious God has been to you. The fact that he would enable you to choose him, that he would work graciously in you is to the praise of his glory. It's not to you, it's to him. But here's the good news. If he worked in you to save you, he'll keep working in you to grow you. He'll not only work in to will, but he'll work in to work so that you can work out your salvation. And working it out means understand it, apply it to every area. And so if you are feeling exhausted today, if you are feeling tired, if you are feeling anxious, if you are feeling worn out, you're feeling so beat up from walking against the world, ask God to give you more grace and ask God to help you see what's coming. Your inheritance is coming. Your double portion is coming. You stay focused on God. And in the end, Romans 8, 28 is true. God will work all things together for your good. Father, I pray that you would help us to believe this. Not only believe it to be saved, but believe it to continue to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.